Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to the Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to the Pastor's Study. 500 years ago, Leonardo da Vinci painted a picture on the wall of a monk's cafeteria that is per perhaps the most famous painting in the history of the world, The Last Supper. You know, the picture of Jesus in the middle and the disciples at the table. I was privileged to be able to see that a few years ago. It's kind of faded, peeling off the wall. They're preserving the thing, but it's an amazing picture. But you remember some years ago, Dan Brown wrote a book, The Da Vinci Code, and that's not really the Apostle John leaning into Jesus. That's Mary Magdalene in disguise because Jesus and Mary Magdalene were really married and had children. And people believe this? <laughs> well, what I want to do in this half hour is ask the question, what really happened at the Last Supper? Let's learn all the lessons we can from this famous scene from the New Testament. Would you open your Bible to Mark? chapter 14, and let's pray first. Father, as we talk now about Holy Communion and what it is that happens when we eat the bread and drink the wine, we would pray that each of us would be brought much closer to the heart of Jesus through what you teach us now. We ask it in his name. Amen. Mark chapter 14, the Last Supper before Jesus dies, verse 10. And then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve disciples, went to the chief priests in order to betray Jesus to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. Here's the first lesson for today. Are you betraying Jesus for money? Let's say your job, in your job, you have to lie to the public to do your job. Well, then shouldn't you quit? Well, yeah, but I need my job. But if they're requiring you to lie, are you betraying Jesus for money? Um, I, I think now they're protected, I'm not sure, but there was an issue in the state of Illinois where they were going to force pharmacists against their conscience to hand out the abortion pill. Do you do that if you're a Christian pharmacist? Not long ago, the Supreme Court decided not to take the case from New Mexico. They let the lower, courts, uh, they let the lower court standing stand, which was this Christian lady who could not in full conscience photograph a lesbian wedding. She's being fined $8,000, and the Supreme Court won't hear it out. She's stuck. Are you betraying Jesus with your money? I had a guy ring my doorbell a while ago trying to sell me Comcast cable TV because I just get regular broadcast TV, I don't get cable. And I said to this young man, do you know that Comcast makes millions of dollars off of pornography? He kind of got a look on his face. I don't think he knew that. He said, yeah, they distribute hardcore pornography through Comcast. Should you really be working for Comcast? And this happened some years ago. Listen to this. 
Some New Jersey tots got an adult education recently when a cable TV giant replaced a Disney cartoon with hardcore pornography. Playhouse Disney was abruptly interrupted uh, when Comcast honchos mistakenly aired the porn in sections of New Jersey. What are they doing? A five-year-old boy asked his parents. Uh, his, the f boy's father, Paul Dunleavy, was appalled. It was two people doing their thing, and it was disgusting. Comcast spokesman Fred DeAndrea confirmed the programming error took place, saying the mistake was theirs, not Disney. Quote, we had an isolated issue in a local New Jersey facility. We immediately detected the issue, and it was corrected, corrected promptly, he said. We apologize to any customer. Well, Comcast, what are you putting hardcore pornography on the air in the first place for? <laughs> and Christian, you need to ask yourself the question, should I be giving money to Comcast? Are you betraying Jesus with your money? Verse 12. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? Here's the next lesson. Jesus is our Passover lamb. Do you understand that the Last Supper was a Passover meal? Let me explain this. About 1400 B.C., God wants to get the Jews out of Egypt and slavery back to the Promised Land of Israel. Pharaoh won't let them go, so God smites Pharaoh with a number of plagues. Finally, the last plague, Pharaoh, we're going to kill all the firstborn children of, of, of Egypt. But Moses, I want the Jews to kill a lamb, take the blood of the lamb, put it on the doorpost, and when the angel of death comes tonight, he'll pass over the house that has the blood on top. But if you don't have the blood on top of your doorpost, the firstborn children of Egypt will die. That's what happened. And so yearly, the Jews were to celebrate that, and once a year they killed the lamb to remember how God saved them through the blood of the lamb. That's why Jesus is our Passover lamb. We don't kill lambs anymore when we sin, like they had to in the Old Testament, because Jesus is our Passover lamb. Let me explain what that means. I am a sinner. I deserve God's wrath. I deserve to die. But instead of me dying, Jesus dies on the cross to pay for my sins, puts his blood over me so that the angel can pass over, and so I am saved from the wrath of God. Jesus now is our Passover lamb, which is why we don't need a temple and don't need to kill lambs anymore. Verse 17, <clears throat> And when it was evening, Jesus came with the twelve, and as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? Here's the next lesson. We are all capable of the vilest sins. Every one of the disciples is afraid, am I the one who's going to do this? <laughs> Think of King David, the only person in the Bible of whom it was said he was a man after God's own heart. And what did he end up doing? Committing adultery and murder. 500 years ago, Martin Luther wrote a devotional on this, and here's what he said. This passage gives us a very serious warning. We are always walking on a slippery path. It is very easy to fall off if we become proud or get out of line. 
David was a holy man, full of faith and of the Spirit of God. David received glorious promises for, from God. David did great things for God, but he fell in such a shameful way, even though he was advanced and aged, he was carried away by the passion of youth. If this could happen to such a man as David, how can we ever take for granted our own ability to remain steady? Through this example, God shows us our own weakness so that we will not exalt ourselves but stand in fear. Paul the Apostle does not uselessly say the words, watch yourself, lest you too be tempted. In other words, Christian, I don't know, I don't care how long you've been a Christian, every Christian needs to be extremely careful. We can all fall into sin. Don't think it couldn't happen to me. Yes, it could, so be careful. Verse 20, who's going to betray me? Verse 20, Jesus said to the disciples, it is one of the twelve who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man, Judas, by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Here's the next lesson. Judas is in hell. I don't know how else to interpret that verse. It would have been better for Judas had he never been born. Uh, there is a Seventh-day Adventist TV station uh, here in the Twin Cities, and I was watching it some time ago. Seventh-day Adventists teach that if you worship on Sunday instead of Saturday, then you've received the mark of the beast. Some of them also teach you can't eat pork, because the Old Testament says you can't eat pork. Well, yeah, but in the New Testament, Mark chapter 7, for us today, Jesus, quote, declared all foods clean. Well, another error of the Seventh-day Adventists, they don't believe hell is eternal. They believe in what's called annihilationism, that maybe you go to hell and you get punished for a while, but then you're annihilated, you're wiped out. The whole half-hour show was this Seventh-day Adventist from the Bible trying to show that hell is not eternal. And he quoted, he quoted some verse from Isaiah about the fire going out, and that was his proof text. Well, I looked it up. Isaiah wasn't talking about hell in that verse. He was talking about Babylon. So here, here's uh, the point I want you to get. Whether you like the teaching or not, Jesus taught and the Bible teaches hell is eternal. Let me read you some of these verses. They're on the screen. You might want to write them down. Listen carefully to these verses from Jesus. Matthew chapter 18 verse 7. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, Cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. Re Revelation 20. The devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Matthew chapter 13, Jesus said, The Son of Man will send out his angels. They will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. They're not annihilated, they're weeping. Uh, Matthew 25, Jesus said to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. The righteous will go into eternal life, the wicked into eternal punishment. Uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, I could quote. Um, Luke chapter 16, I could quote, where the poor, rich man goes to hell and he begs to get out. He's not 
uh, annihilated. He's begging to get out, and he can never get out. I, I had dinner last night with some Christian friends. Briefly, we talked about hell. And I said to them, a trillion years from tonight, everyone will be in heaven or hell. And then a trillion years from that night, every person will be in heaven or in hell. It's sobering when you think about it. This is why, Christian, you and I need to be more vocal about Jesus. Here's an atheist farmer. Never went to church. He had a lot of Christian friends, and, and, and he, he never talked to them much about God. They just cho always chose other subjects. Well, one day, a different person moves in near, the, near this man's farm, goes to visit this neighbor, and says, Hi, I've just moved in, etc. And after a while, starts to talk to the farmer about his soul and about Jesus. And the farmer said, You know, this is amazing. I've lived here most of my life. There's not one of my neighbors who wouldn't run to tell me if one of my cows was on the railroad track. But you're the first person to ever talk to me about my soul. Listen, if you believe in heaven and in hell, you've got to talk to people about Jesus. Verse 22. And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and he said to them, This is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many, Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know if you caught that, but five things happen when you take Holy Communion from that, those verses. I think a lot of people take communion. You ask them, what exactly happens when you take communion? They don't quite get it. Let me make sure you get it. According to those verses, five things happen when you take Holy Communion. Number one. Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood. The number thing, one thing is called, we experience the real presence. Somehow Jesus Christ is really present in his body and his blood when you eat the bread and drink the wine. I will tell you, when I was a, at a, a, a vicar at a university, we took communion twice a week, not once a month, twice a week during that year. I don't know that I've ever been so holy. There is a power, there's a presence of Jesus Christ in Holy Communion. It's called the real presence. Second thing that happens when you take communion, he says, this is my blood of the covenant shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. The second thing that happens, number one, the real presence. The second thing, you get the forgiveness of sins. Now, I remember many years ago when my grandpa was dying, mom was just a little too intense that grandpa get communion right before he died. <laughs> and I got the impression mom believed if grandpa didn't get communion right before he died, he might not make it. You know, I don't think it works that way. You know, let's say you're in church on Sunday and you're, you leave the pew to go up to the communion rail and you die of a heart attack on the way up. Did you not go to heaven? <laughs> You went to heaven. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid for all of our sins, past, present, even future. Even the sins you haven't committed yet have already been paid for and forgiven. So you're, you're forgiven of your sins now. Well, if I'm already forgiven, why do I need communion? Because 
we have what's called a guilty conscience. I don't know about you. There are days I wonder if I'm saved. I mean, I know I'm saved, but there are days I wonder, and I have guilt and doubt, and I love to go to communion to hear the words, shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Yes, technically you are forgiven of all your sins already. That's true, hallelujah. But I like to take communion to get the assurance from God that my sins are forgiven. I make pottery as a hobby. I make these for churches. Uh, this is the communion set. And on the, on the bread plate, I put the words, the body of Christ broken for you. On, on the communion cup, I put shed for you. Why? For the forgiveness of sins. And, and the reason I put this on the pottery is Luther said the most important words in, in the Last Supper are the words for you. You need to believe this is for you. God loves you and absolutely forgives your sins when you come to Christ. Next thing, we get a communion. The real presence, we get the assurance of our forgiveness. Third thing that happens in communion, Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. There's a story, it's a legend, it's not true, but you remember little Zacchaeus who had to climb up the sycamore tree to see Jesus come through in the parade and then Jesus saved him that day? There's a story that when Zacchaeus was an old man, he'd leave the house at night and then come back with a peaceful look on his face. His wife wonders, what is he doing? So one night she followed him through the streets of Jericho, saw him go across town and throw his arms around the trunk of this sycamore tree. And later that night, Zacchaeus, tonight I followed you. Why did you go up and hug that tree? And Zacchaeus said, wife, that's where he saved me. And I told the Lord years ago, as long as I can walk, I'm going to go back to that tree and remember him. That is what happens when you take communion. You're going back to the cross of Calvary. You're throwing your arms around the cross, and you're remembering what Jesus did for you there. You get the real presence. You get the forgiveness of your sins. Third thing you get is uh, a remembrance of what Christ did for you when you take communion. Fourth thing that happens, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim, that means you preach the death of the Lord's death until he comes. That's from 1 Corinthians 11. Fourth thing that happens when you take communion, you preach a sermon. When you take communion, you're saying to the person on your right and on your left, I need the death of Christ to save me. You're proclaiming the death of Christ when you take communion. Years ago, my least favorite TV show was the Phil Donahue show. I think he did a lot of damage promoting immorality in our culture. Hallelujah, he's been off for years. But I remember one show, he had some Christian celebrities on the stage, one of whom was Jeannie C. Riley, who sang uh, Harper Valley PTA. Phil Donahue. Well, uh, Jeannie, you're a Christian. Yes, I am, Phil. Well, but are you one of these Christians who believes that you have to believe in Jesus to go to heaven? Why, yes, Phil, that's exactly what I believe. Well, you mean these good Buddhists, good Jews, good Muslims, they're not going to heaven because they don't believe in Jesus? And Jeannie C. Riley said, yes, Phil, that's what I believe. <laughs> she was great. And you know what she was doing? She was proclaiming the death of Christ. That, Phil, there are no good Christians. There are no good Buddhists. There are no good Muslims. We're sinners. The only thing that can save us, regardless of your religion, is Jesus' death on the cross. You need to trust Christ to be saved and nothing else. When you take communion, you're proclaiming Christ's death. And the last, last thing that happens when you take communion 
Jesus said, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. The last thing we get, number one, you get the real presence of Christ when you take communion. Number two, you get the assurance your sins are forgiven. Number three, you remember what he did for you on the cross. Number four, you preach his death until he comes. But number five, you get a foretaste of the feast to come. One day when Jesus returns in the clouds will come what's called the marriage feast of the Lamb. And all the Christians from all the ages will be around this huge table. It says we'll see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob at that table. And all, your Christian grandma, all the Christians you knew that from 50 years ago, or, all the Christians that have ever lived will be around the table. And then Jesus pours the wine again and we drink new with him in our Father's kingdom. That's going to be an incredible day. You get a little foretaste of that feast to come when you take Holy Communion. So let me just close with this. Because communion is so wonderful, so powerful, so great, I want to encourage you, take communion as often as you can. Don't rob yourself. Take communion regularly. And here's a lady that says, well, Pastor Brock, I don't go to church. I watch your TV show. You're my church. No, I'm not. This TV set cannot give you Holy Communion. Every Christian needs to be in a church where you can take Holy Communion. And you, you go to church not just to get. You go there to give of your money, time, and talents to serve the Lord. Get into a good church. Take communion regularly and get the blessing of God on your life. Amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor's study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us his knowledge of scripture and his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. Pastor Brock, you talked about not betraying Jesus with your money, but isn't it almost impossible to avoid all the companies that do evil? I, I mean, I guess... Can I shop at a grocery store if I know that the yeah. manager is having well, a, an affair with somebody? All right, Jackie. I, when I learned that Cub Foods, which is where I always shopped, Cub Supermarket, when I learned they were the sponsors of Gay Pride for Minnesota, I wrote the CEO. I, found, I hunted down his address. I wrote him a letter saying, you know, for a lot of your clientele like me, it's offensive that you're promoting homosexuality in our culture. Can't you at least stay neutral in the culture wars? I got a letter back from the CEO of Cub who we value diversity at Cub. And they're going to continue. Well, he surely didn't value my diversity. There's a lot of people that he's not valuing their diverse opinion. But so I've pretty much, I mean, I'm not saying I've never gone there since, but I've been avoiding Cub for that reason. Now, can you avoid every company that does evil? No, I know you can't. And so, you know, I, I'm sure. Um, but, you know, I, I, so the answer is no, you can't avoid everything and you've got to live in this world. But that doesn't mean we don't at least try now and then. <laughs> well, then I think what you're saying, too, though, is that if we're aware of a company that we are shopping, that we hear something that's offensive, yeah. we have the right to confront them you about we it. Do. And we should do yes, that. Yes, we do. That's there was a, a, a uh, service station near my house that was selling Playboy penthouse and whatever. And I went in there, I think, twice and said, you know, I, I like shopping here, but I can't come here anymore if you're going to keep doing this. Well, finally, they pulled, they pulled out the magazine because a friend of mine, I won't tell you the name of the, of the, the service station, but nationally, they pulled them because of two Christian men who confronted them saying, do you think the Lord wants you to do that? And finally, they stopped the porn. So we need to do this more.
Okay. Pastor Brock, if God is love, why is there a hell then? I mean, yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe you could even say because God is love, there's a hell. Do you want to spend eternity with Hitler? I don't especially if he hasn't repented and there was no, I mean, if you want all these people that hate God to be in heaven, that's not called heaven, <laughs> that's called hell. And so because God is love, he allows people who insist to go their own way. And I don't understand all this, but yes, it is true that God is love. It's also true he's holy. And he does not, uh, I mean, Jackie, we don't want to stand before a holy God without the blood of Christ. We need Christ's atonement for this sinner to stand before a holy God. And we've kind of lost that in our culture. God is this big, nice friend. He's not the holy, almighty God that we used to believe. You know, you brought up, when you just said that, made me think of something, though. When we get to heaven, are we going to be consciously looking for the people we love? And what if we can't find them? Yeah. I don't know how that works. I know that heaven is fullness of joy. In his presence, there is fullness of joy. And will I be sorrowful if I realize my brother didn't make it to heaven? I, I don't know how that works, but I know that we'll have fullness of joy. Yeah. Okay. Can you ex explain a little better what annihilationism uh, yeah, is? Uh, annihilationism. Yeah. It's, it's a heresy that when you die, if you didn't believe in Jesus, you don't go to hell. You just get annihilated. And Jackie, when I was young, I used to try to hold to that heresy, but I joined a Bible study and these Baptists kept putting in my faces these verses that we listed on the screen about eternal hell. I had to change my mind and say, okay, you're right, hell is eternal. <laughs> yeah. So I guess we only have a couple of minutes left here, and I guess it's important maybe, what should a person say to someone so that they do become a Christian? Right. Yep. What are some of the things that... You know, I just, I go right for the basics. And I, when I'm next to somebody on a plane, basically my point is, you know, we're all sinners. Everybody thinks they're getting heaven because they're good. We're not good. We're sinners. We all deserve hell. But God loved us so much that God became a human being, lived the perfect life that we couldn't, died on the cross to pay for our sins, rose from the dead, and the promise of God's word is if you trust in Jesus, your sins are forgiven, you're going to heaven. That's the gospel in a nutshell. That's what I say to someone when I want them to get saved. You preach, he died on the cross for our sins, he rose from the dead, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Okay, Pastor Brock, we've got about 55 seconds mm -hmm. left, but would you like to tell people what's happening a little bit sure. with the pastor you know, study right now? We've been on in the Twin Cities for 26 years. But for the last couple of years now, we're on nationally on DirecTV and Dish Network. And, we're, and if you can't get the show, you can go see all of our old shows at pastorstudy.org. And you can just watch them for free on, on the website. But we want to ask you to pray for our ministry. I'm amazed we're still on the air because it's expensive to do this national ministry. But one way or another, the money has come in for the last two years. But it's always a bit of a struggle. So pray, pray for our ministry. If the Lord nudges you to give, you can go to pastorstudy.org and see how to support us either by uh, sending in our address or just you can do it on the website too if you want to support us. But pray for us. That's the main thing we ask. And, and thanks. We'll be together again next week. Thanks. Thank you for watching The Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write the Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, 
Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always. Mm -hmm.